Chapter 6, Sections 2 through 4 of J. B. Bury's The Student's Roman Empire, Part 1. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. The Student's Roman Empire, Part 1, by John Bagnell Bury. Chapter 6, Provincial Administration under Augustus, the Western Provinces, 27 B.C. to 14 A.D., Sections 2 through 4. Section 2. Gaul. Augustus divided Gallia into four provinces, Narbonensis, Aquitania, Lugudinensis, and Belgica. In 22 BC, he assigned Narbonensis to the Senate, while the others remained under imperial legati. Narbonensis had become a Roman province in 121 BC. United with the rest of Gaul after the conquests of Julius Caesar, it was now restored to its separate being. Through the civil wars it became far more than the territory of Narbo, for the federate Greek state of Massilia, which possessed most of the coastline, was reduced to the condition of a provincial town, and thereby Narbonensis extended from the Pyrenees to the Maritime Alps. The elder Caesar did much towards Romanizing this province. To him Narbo owed its strength and prosperity, and he founded new cities possessing Roman citizenship, chief among them Aralate, which as a commercial town soon took the place of her older Greek neighbor. The canton system of the Celts was gradually superseded in Narbonensis by the Italian system of city communities, and this development was zealously furthered by Augustus. In one interesting case we can see the process. The canton of the Volcae is first organized on the Italian principle under praetors, praetor volacarum. The next step is that the canton of the Volcae is replaced by the Latin city Nemausis, which is now Nimes. The disappearance of the canton system distinguishes the southern province from the rest of Gaul, and is part of its conspicuously Roman character. This different degree of Romanization had probably a good deal to do with the marked differences between the lands of the Languedoc and those of the Languedui. Yet the Celts of Narbonensis did not forget their national gods. The religion of the country survived long in the south as well as in the north. Trace Gallier. The three imperial provinces were often grouped together as the three Gauls. This threefold division corresponded in general outline to the ethnical division, which Caesar marks at the beginning of his Gallic War. But it does not correspond wholly. The province of the southwest contains Iberian Aquitania, but with a Celtic addition. The Celtic land between the Liger and the Garumna is taken from Celtica and annexed to Aquitania. The province Lugudinensis answers to Caesar's Celtica, but it no longer includes all the Celts. It has lost some on the south side to Aquitania, and others on the north to the third division, Belgica. Thus Belgica is no longer entirely Teutonic, but partly Teutonic and partly Celtic. These three districts seem at first to have been placed under the single control of a military governor, who commanded the legions stationed on the Rhine, and had a legatus in each province. Drusus held this position from 13 to 9 B.C., and Tiberius succeeded him, 9 to 7 B.C. Again, from 13 to 17 A.D., we find Germanicus holding the same position. It is possible that in the intervening years, this military control was suspended, 
and that the legati of the three provinces were independent of any superior but the emperor, as they certainly were after 17 AD. In imperial Gaul, the Roman government allowed the cantons to remain, and ordered their administration accordingly. The city system was not introduced in these provinces as in Narbonensis, and the progress of Romanization was much slower. There was a strong national spirit. The religion of the Druids was firmly rooted, and it was long felt by Roman rulers that the presence of armies on the Rhine was as needful to prevent a rebellion in Gaul as to ward off a German invasion. But no serious attempt was made by the Celts to throw off the yoke of their Roman lords. An Iberian rebellion in Aquitania was easily suppressed by Massala Corvinus about 27 BC, and perhaps belongs as much to the history of Spain as to that of Gaul. The Iberians north of the Pyrenees were probably in communication with their brethren of the south. The success of Massala was rewarded by a triumph. The four visits of Augustus to Gaul, which have been mentioned above, and that of Agrippa in 19 BC, show how much the thoughts of the emperor were filled with the task of organizing the country which his father had conquered and had not time to shape. On the occasion of his first visit he held a census of Gaul, the first Roman census ever held there, in order to regulate the taxes. It is remarkable that the policy adopted by Rome was not to obliterate, but to preserve a national spirit. Not only was the canton organization preserved, but all the cantons of the three provinces were yoked together by a national constitution, quite distinct from the imperial administration, though under imperial patronage. It was in the consulship of M. Massala Barbatus and P. Quirinius, 12 B.C., on the first day of August, that Drusus dedicated an altar to Rome and the genius of Augustus beneath the hill of Lugudunum, where the priest of the three Gauls should henceforward sacrifice yearly on the same day to those deities. The priest was to be elected annually by those whom the cantons of the three provinces chose to represent them in a national concilium held at Lugudunum. Among the rights of this assembly were that of determining the distribution of the taxes and that of lodging complaints against the acts of imperial officials. The city which was thus chosen to be the meeting place of the Gallic peoples under Roman auspices, Lugudunum, stood above and apart from the other communities of imperial Gaul. She gave her name to one of the three provinces, and the governor of Lugudunensis dwelt within her walls but she was far more than a provincial residence, singular by her privileged position as the one city in the three Gauls which enjoyed the rights of Roman citizenship, she may be regarded as the capital of all three, yet not belonging to any. Her exalted position resembles that of Rome in Italy rather than that of Alexandria in Egypt. It has also been compared with that of Washington in the United States. She and Carthage were the only cities in the western subject lands in which, as in Rome itself, a garrison was stationed. She had the right of coining imperial gold, and we cannot assert this of any other western city. Her position, rising at the meeting of the Rhone from the east, and the Arar sound from the north, was advantageous from the point of view either of a merchant or of a soldier. She was the center of the road system of Gaul which was worked out by Agrippa, and whenever an emperor visited his Gallic provinces, Lugudunum was naturally his headquarters. The difference in development between the three Gauls and Narbonensis, the land of cantons and the land of cities, 
is well illustrated by the town names of France. In Narbonensis, the local names superseded forever the tribal names. Aralate, Vienna, Valentia, survive in Arles, Vienne, Valence. But in Imperial Gaul, the rule is that the local names fell into disuse, and the towns are called at the present day by the names of the old Gallic tribes. Lutetia, the city of the Parisi, is Paris. Durocatorum, the city of the Remi, is Reims. Avericum, the city of the Beturge, is Bourges. The conqueror of Gaul had shown the way to the conquest of Britain, but this work was reserved for another than his son. One of the objects of Augustus in visiting Gaul in 27 BC was to feel his way towards an invasion of the northern island, but the project was abandoned. The legions of Augustus, however, though they did not cross the channel, crossed the Rhine, but the story of the making of the true and original province of Germany beyond the Rhine and its brief duration, and of the forming of the spurious Germanies on the left bank of the river, will be told in another chapter. Section 3. Spain Spain, the land of the far west in the old world, was safe through its geographical position from the invasion of a foe. Almost enclosed by the sea, it had no frontier exposed to the menace of a foreign power, and it was the only province in such a situation that required the constant presence of a military force. For though the Romanizing of the southern and eastern parts had advanced with wonderful rapidity, the intractable peoples of the northwestern regions refused to accept the yoke of the conqueror, and held out in the mountain fastnesses from which they descended to plunder their southern neighbors. The Cantabrians and the Asturians were the most important of these warlike races, and, when Augustus founded the empire, their territories could hardly be considered as yet really under the sway of Rome. Since the death of Caesar, arms had never been laid down in Spain. Commanders were ever winning triumphs there, and ever having to begin anew. Augustus found it needful to keep no less than three legions in the country, one in Cantabria, two in Asturia and the memory of the Asturian army still abides in the name Leon, the place where the Legio Seven Gemina was stationed. Before Augustus, the province of Hispania Ulterior took in the land of the Tagus and the Durius, as well as the region of the Betis. This division was now altered. First of all, Galatia, the northwestern corner, was transferred from the further to the hither province, so that all the fighting in the disturbed districts of the north and northwest might devolve upon the same commander. The next step was the separation of Lusitania and its organization as a distinct imperial province, while the rest of further Spain, Baetica as it came to be called, was placed under the control of the Senate. Another change made by Augustus was the removal of the seat of government in hither Spain from New Carthage to more northern and more central Taraco, whence, from this time forth, the province was called Terraconensis. Taraco became in this province what Lagudunum was in Gaul, the chief seat of the worship of Rome and Augustus, and the meeting place of the provincial concilium. Thus, under the new order of things, Spain consists of three provinces, Baetica, Senatorial, Terraconensis, and Lusitania, Imperial. This arrangement was probably not completed until the end of the Cantabrian War, which lasted with few interruptions from 29 to 25 B.C., only, however, to break out again a year or two later. A rebellion of Cantabria and Asturia 
was suppressed by Statilius Taurus in 29 BC, but in 27 BC disturbances were renewed and the emperor himself hastened from Gaul to quell the insurrection. But a serious illness at Taraco forced him to leave the conduct of the war to his legati, probably under the general direction of Agrippa. A fleet on the north coast supported the operations by land, and by degrees the fastnesses of the Cantabrians fell into the hands of the Romans. At the same time P. Carcisius subdued the Asturians. It was a more difficult task to secure a lasting pacification. Augustus endeavored to induce the mountain peoples to settle in the plains, where in the neighborhood of Roman colonies they might be tamed and civilized. Such centers of Roman life in the northwest were Augusta Asturica, Bracara Augusta, Lucas Augusti, memorials of the Spanish visit of Augustus, and still surviving under their old names as Astorga, Braga, and Lugo. The chief inland town of eastern Terraconensis was the work of the same statesman. Saragossa, on the Ebro, still preserves the name of the colony of Caesar Augustus. But the emperor had not left Spain long, 24 B.C., when new disturbances broke out. They were promptly put down, but in 22 B.C. another rebellion of the Cantabrians and Asturians called for the joint action of the governors of Terraconensis and Lusitania. The last war, and perhaps the most serious of all, was waged two years later, and demanded the leadership of Marcus Agrippa himself, 20-19 to 19 B.C. The difficulty was at first aggravated by the mutiny of the soldiers, who detested the weary and doubtful warfare in the mountains, and it required all the military experience of the general to restore their discipline and zeal. After many losses the war was successfully ended, 19 B.C., and the hitherto untamable Cantabrian people reduced to insignificance. A few disturbances occurred four years later, but were easily dealt with. Yet it was still felt to be needful to keep a strong military force in northern Spain. Roman civilization had soon taken a firm hold in the south of Spain. The contrast of Narrobonensis with the rest of Gaul is like the contrast of Baetica and the eastern side of the hither province with the rest of Spain but Roman policy was very different in the two countries, and this was due to the circumstance that Spain was conquered and organized at an earlier period. The Latinizing of Spain had been carried far under the Republic. The Latinizing of Gaul had practically begun under the Empire. In Gaul, the tribal canons were allowed to remain. This was the policy of the Caesars, father and son. In Spain, the tribal cantons were broken up in smaller divisions, this was the policy of the Republican Senate. In Gaul, excluding the southern province, there were no Roman cities except Lugudunum. In Spain, Roman colonies were laid here and there in all parts. The Gallic fellows of Baetic Gades, Corduba and Hispalis, of Lusitanian Emerita and Olispo, of Terraconese Carthage, Caesar Augusta and Bracara, must be sought altogether under the early empire, in the smallest of the four provinces of Gaul. In Lusitania, Augustus founded Emerita Augusta, a colony of veterans, on the river Annas, Guadiana, and made it the capital of the province. The other chief Roman towns of Lusitania were Alispo, once promoted to be the capital, Lisbon, of a modern kingdom, and Pax Julia, now represented by Beja. Spain was not a network of the Roman roads like Gaul. 
The only imperial road was the Via Augusta, which went from the north of Italy along the coast to Narbo, then across the pass of Quiserda to Ilerda, and on by Tarasco and Valentia to the mouth of the Betis. The other road, communication necessary in a fertile and prosperous country, was provided by the local communities. The Spanish peninsula was rich not only in metals, but in wine, oil, and corn. Gades, Cadiz, which now received the name of Augusta Julia, was one of the richest and most luxurious towns in the empire. Section 4. Africa, Sardinia, Sicily. From Spain one naturally goes on to Africa. Augustus never visited either the African province or the African dependency, but, before he left Turaco, 25 B.C., he was called upon to deal with African affairs. In history, Spain and Africa have always been closely connected. Sometimes Spain has been the stepping stone to Africa. Oftener, as for the Phoenicians and the Arabs, Africa has been the stepping stone to Spain. The western half of Mauritania was really nearer to the European peninsula which faced it than to the rest of the African coast, and under the later empire this region went with Spain and Gaul, not with Africa and Italy. There was no road between Tingis in western and Caesarea in eastern Mauritania. The communication was by sea. And so it was that the Moorish hordes, crossing to Baetica in their boats, were more dangerous to Roman subjects in Spain than to those in Africa. A poet of Nero's time describes Baetica as Trucibus obnoxia maris. For though Spain, as has been already said, had no frontier exposed to a foreign power, her southern province had as close neighbor a land which, first as a dependency and then as a province, was inhabited by a rude and untamed population. The commands which Augustus issued from the capital of his Spanish province especially regarded Mauritania, but we must call to mind what had taken place in Africa since the dictator Caesar ordered it anew. He had increased the Roman province by the addition of the kingdom of Numidia, and the river Amsaga was fixed as the western boundary between New Africa, as Numidia was sometimes called, and Mauritania. This latter country was at that time under two kings. Over the eastern realm of Eol, soon to be called by Caesar's name, ruled King Bacchus. Over the western realm of Tingus ruled King Bogud. Both these potentates had taken Caesar's side in the first civil war, unlike King Juba, and they therefore kept their kingdoms after Caesar's victory. But in the next civil war they did not both take the same side. Bacchus held to Caesar the son, as he had held to Caesar the father but Bogud supported Antonius, while his own capital Tingis, Tangier, embraced the other cause. In reward, Bacchus was promoted to kingship over the whole of Mauritania, and Tingis received the privilege of Roman citizenship. When Bacchus died, 33 BC, his kingdom was left kingless for a season, but the Roman government did not think that the time had yet come for a province of Mauritania. A son of the last king of Numidia, called Juba, like his father, had followed the dictator's triumph through the streets of Rome, and had been brought up under the care of Caesar and his successor. He served in the Roman army. He was an eager student of Greek and Roman literature, and wrote or compiled Greek books himself. On him Augustus fixed to take the place of King Bacchus. If it was out of the question to restore him to his paternal kingdom of Numidia, he should at least have the next thing to it, 
the kingdom of Mauritania. And as the descendant of King Massinissa, he would be welcome to the natives. At the same time, 25 BC, Augustus gave Mauritania a queen. The daughter of Antonius and the Egyptian queen had followed his own triumph, as Juba had followed his father's. Named Cleopatra like her mother, she had been protected and educated by the noble kindness of Octavia, whom her parents had so deeply wronged. There had been a peculiar fitness, as has been well remarked, in the union of the Numidian prince and the Egyptian princess, whose fortunes were so like. This union brought about the strange circumstance that the last king of Mauritania, Juba's son, bore the name of Ptolemy. Thus Roman dominion in Africa, west of Egypt, consisted under Augustus of a province and a dependent kingdom, the river Amsaga, on which Sirta is built, forming the boundary. The southern boundaries of this dominion it would have been hard, perhaps, for Augustus himself to fix, inasmuch as there were no neighboring states. The real dominion passed insensibly into a sphere of influence among the native races, who were alternatively submissive and hostile, or, as the Romans would have said, rebellious. Against these dangerous neighbors of the interior, Garamantes and invincible Gaetulians, Transtagonenses and Musulami, it was necessary to keep a legion in Africa, which was thus distinguished as the only senatorial province whose proconsul commanded an army. Two expeditions were made in the reign of Augustus against these enemies, the first under the proconsul L. Cornelius Balbus, 19 B.C., against the Garamantes, and a second under P. Sulpicius Quirinius, against the tribes of Marmarica further east. Barbus performed his task ably, and received a triumph, remarkable as the last granted to any private Roman citizen. In the organization of Gaul and Spain, Rome had no older civilization to build upon. It was otherwise in Sicily and Africa. The civilization of Sicily, when it became Roman, was chiefly Greek, but partly Phoenician. That of Africa, on the contrary, was chiefly Phoenician, but partly Greek. Accordingly, Rome built on Phoenician foundations in the lands which she won from Carthage, and accepted the constitution of the Phoenician town communities, just as she accepted the cantons in Gaul. But there was a remarkable likeness and organization between these communities and those of Italy, so that the transition from the one form to the other was soon and easily accomplished. Carthage, whose existence was blotted out by the short-sighted policy of the Republican Senate, had been revived by the generous counsels of Caesar, to become soon the capital of Roman, as it had been of Punic, Africa. At first the Phoenician constitution was restored to her, but she soon received the form of a Roman colonia, and grew to be one of the greatest and most luxurious cities of Western Europe. Utica, jealous of the resurrection of her old rival, was made a Roman municipium. The growth of Roman life in Africa was also furthered by the settlement of colonies of veterans. In the original province may be mentioned Culpea and Hippodiorhidos. In Numidia, Sirta, Constantine, and Sicca. In Roman civilization, Mauritania was far behind her eastern neighbors, but Augustus did much in establishing colonies, chiefly on the coast. These Roman towns of Mauritania owed no allegiance to the native king, but depended directly on the governor of the neighboring province. Besides the Phoenician towns and the towns on Italian model, whether municipia or colonies, there were also native Libyan communities, 
but these stood directly under the control of the Roman governors, or sometimes were placed under special Roman prefects. The language of the native Berbers was still spoken chiefly in the regions which the Romans least frequented. It was treated by the conquerors like the Iberian in Spain and the Celtic in Gaul. The language of communication throughout northern Africa was Phoenician, but Rome refused to recognize this Asiatic tongue as an official language, as she had recognized Greek in her eastern provinces. In their local affairs the communities might use Phoenician, but once they entered into imperial relations, Latin was prescribed. It might have been thought that Greek, which was better known in Africa than Latin when the Romans came, would have been adopted there as the imperial language. But the government decreed that Africa, like Sicily, was to belong to the Latin West. It is instructive to observe that, while the name of the Greek queen of Mauritania appears on coins in Greek, that of her husband, who was regarded as an imperial official, is always in Latin. Africa was fertile in fruit, though her wine could not compete with the produce of Spain and Italy. In corn she was especially rich, and shared with Egypt and Sicily the privilege of supplying Rome. The purple industry was still active, chiefly in the little island of Gerba, not destined indeed to become as famous as the island of Tyre. Juba introduced this industry on the western coast of his kingdom. The general well-being of the land has ample witnesses in the remains of splendid structures which have been found there in all parts, such as theaters, baths, and triumphal arches. From Africa we pass to another province in which Rome was the heiress of Carthage. Sardinia had ceased to look to her African ruler in 238 BC, and had become, seven years later, a Roman province, the earliest except Sicily. In the division of the provinces in 27 BC, Sardinia and Corsica fell to the Senate and Roman people. But the descents of pirates forced Augustus to take the province into his own hands in 6 AD, and commit it to the protection of soldiers. He did not place it, however, under a legatus of senatorial rank, but only under a procurator of equestrian rank. It was destined to pass again to the Senate under Nero, but returned to the emperor finally in the reign of Vespasian. These islands, though placed in the midst of civilization, were always barbarous and remote. The rugged nature of Corsica, the pestilential air of its southern fellow, did not invite settlements or visitors. They were more suited to be places of exile, and they were used as such. Augustus sent no colonies thither, and did not visit them himself. The chief value of Sardinia lay in its large production and export of grain. Very different was the other great island of the Mediterranean, the oldest of all the provinces of Rome, the land whose conquest led to the further conquests of Sardinia and of Africa itself. It was in Sicily that the younger Caesar established his position in the west. His recovery of the land, on which Rome depended for her grain, first set his influence and popularity on a sure foundation. As Augustus, he visited it again, B.C. 22, and although it was a senatorial province, ordered its affairs by virtue of his Maius Imperium at Syracuse. Perhaps it was in memory of this visit that he gave the name of Syracuse to a room in his house which he used as a retreat when he wished to suffer no interruption. Roman policy had decreed that Sicily was to belong to the Latin West, not to the Greek East, with which once she had been so constantly connected. And for centuries to come, 
embosomed in the center of the empire, she plays no part in history, such as she had played in the past, and was destined to play again in the distant future. End of chapter 6, sections 2 through 4